pray. Father, I thank you that, you're st- that we do not stand here today worshiping some dead prophet, but a risen Lord and Savior. Lord, I thank you that death could not defeat you, that sin could not stop you. I, I thank you that you have defeated those things. Lord, I want to pray right now for my own heart, for the heart of every person who is hearing my voice right now. Lord, that the areas of bondage and captivity that we have kept ourselves in, that they would be annihilated by the truth that is you are who you say you are, that you have done what you said you were going to do, and that your story is still moving forward. We know how this ends. The enemy will be vanquished. He may be a lion on the prowl, but he is a lion on the leash. And our lion is the lion of Judah. Lord, we have nothing to fear. We have no reason to hide. There is no darkness so strong that you cannot overcome it. There is no bondage so strong that you cannot break it. Lord, I pray that that people would be free today and that as we leave here today, we would live like it, Lord. That we would be a people living like we belong to a kingdom who has a risen king. And I pray this all for one reason, and that is for the majestic glory of the only name that deserves glory. And that is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And all God's people said, Amen. Please remain standing for the reading of his word. I think it's on. Uh, Because of the weakness of your human nature, I'm using the illustration of slavery to help understand all of this. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led even deeper into sin. Now you must give yourselves to slaves... Now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. When you were slaves to sins, you were free to the obligation. You were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that ended in eternal doom. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Please have a seat. Grab your Bibles. We got some business to do with God today. I hope you are not here just to spectate. I hope you are here to participate because that's the kind of church that we are. And so I want to um, remind you that we have started back into the series that we're in in Romans. Um, we started it back in uh, the spring. We took a couple of months off to talk about these gospel conversations and how to take some of this theology that we've been learning in Romans and get it like into the shoe leather of how we are interacting with other people. Last week I jumped back into Romans. By way of review, I want to remind you that Romans is simply, it's Paul's master thesis the Apostle Paul, who wrote a lot of our New Testament, it's his like master work on the defense of God's righteousness. And then on how that righteousness in Christ gets applied to us. And he is telling a very detailed, very connected story that makes it hard to keep it connected, not just because we took a couple weeks or a couple months off, but even week to week. And so what I want to do is start out by reminding you that, that the story of God's righteousness and his application to our lives in that righteousness is told through five therefore statements in Romans. So in Romans chapter, so start in Romans chapter one. So find the book of Romans in Romans chapter one. In verse 24, here's our first therefore statement. 
Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to dishonor of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. So this is, this is God through Paul saying, look, the problem is that we started worshiping ourselves. We started worshiping the creation rather than the one who created it because we exchanged the truth that God is and that he is gracious with a lie. And so that, then that leads us into the second, therefore, chapter 2, verse 1. And he says in chapter 2, he says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on one another you condemn yourselves because you do the same thing. And we've talked about how, like, as we all want righteousness to happen. We just want to be the ones who define what it looks like. We all want justice to occur. We just want to be the standard bearer. We all want just judges. And what Paul is saying is, so we complain that the God we rebel against rightly judges what's wrong. And yet, we want him to. We just want to pick who, who he judges and who he doesn't. And if you're sitting here today going, no, I don't, let's have a conversation after church today because I promise you, you do. Every one of us does. That leads us to the good news, our third, therefore, and it's in chapter 5, verse 1. So then he trans- So then he goes, because of this problem of rebellion, because of this problem, because of the right that God has to judge, and we all are rebels, that was chapter 3, he says something has to happen. So God starts this promise through Abraham, chapter 4, and then in chapter 5 he says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, here it is. This is the promise of the gospel. We have peace with God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say, through him we have obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That's the gospel message. So he's saying, we have peace with God through what Christ has done. Now, he's going to go on where we are right now in chapter 6, and then where we're going to be the next couple of weeks, chapter 7, Lord willing. He's going to go on, he meaning Paul, talking about this wrestle that we have. We were rebels. We've got peace with God, but I'm still struggling. So he's going to remind us of something that we all need to be reminded of. And it got prayed a couple of times during our awesome prayer time today. Look at chapter 8, verse 1. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Guys, underline that, circle it, memorize it, especially over the, this week and the next few weeks because it's really easy for us to forget as we start talking about the deeds of the flesh, the fruit of the Spirit, all like how to live righteously. It's very easy to start keeping score in our own lives again. And Paul did too. And so Paul gets to this place, and it's almost like through the Holy Spirit, he's, being remi- he's reminding himself, wait a minute, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Then he goes on to continue to talk about how the gospel plays itself out, and then he transitions to one of the biggest therefore statements in the Bible, or in, the, in Romans, and it's Romans 12.1. So turn to chapter 12, and he's like, so in light of all of this, in light of what, who God is, what the problem is, what God's done about it, how now shall we live? And so he says in chapter 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, or if you have an NASB or a New King James, it actually starts with the word, therefore, 
because Greek, the or, word order in Greek is kind of weird. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice that is acceptable to God because this is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? So you can prove what the will of God is. But the will of God is that which is, will, that, that which is acceptable and perfect. Now, guys, we, I read that, and I go, okay, great, but how do we do that? How do we present our bodies a sacrifice? Ultimately, it comes down to what we talked about last week, what we do, right? And what we do is shown by our fruit. And we finished up last week in Galatians chapter 5. But, guys, we, I want you to turn to your first talking points question. It's on the back of your... It's on the back of your, um, of your training truth sheet that was in your bulletin. If you don't have one, I'm sure we have some extras, so grab a hold of that. In, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 23, Jesus is speaking. It's in the Sermon on the Mount, and he tells a couple of stories. In fact, I'm just going to go ahead and take the time. Let's just turn there, and I want you to read this, because me saying it should not matter at all compared to the fact that Christ said it, and I want you to see it with your own eyes. If you need a Bible and you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and someone will put a Bible in it, I promise. But I want to show you how this idea of what we do, our fruit, that's holy, it's what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. That's what fruit is in the Bible. He's, this is not just a Paulian thing. This isn't just Paul talking. Jesus talked about this. Look at chapter 7, verse 15. He's talking about some false prophets, and he says, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but are inwardly ravenous wolves. So he's saying people that are sneaking into the church and preaching a false gospel. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered through thorn bushes or figs through thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, and a diseased tree, bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear, good, cannot bear bad fruit, and a diseased tree cannot bear good fruit. He says, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them, them meaning real followers of Christ, or those that are not, you will recognize them by their fruit, by what they do, by the fruit of the Spirit. And then he goes on, Jesus goes on in verses 21 through 23, and he, and he gives some of the most, some of the scariest verses in all of the Bible. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, on that last day, when he comes back and establishes his kingdom in full, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, we, I'm sorry, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the ones who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do mighty works in your name? And, when, and then he says, some of the scary, so these are people that are in the name of Christ, are saying, like, this is how I'm doing this. And he's saying to them, depart from me, for I never knew you. Begs the question, how do we know we know? The answer, the, only, the real answer is, is your life evidencing that? Is your life evidencing spiritual fruit? And that leads us to today's topic. So what we're looking at today is this new life in the new reign. Guys, get this, and if you haven't already gotten tired of this, especially if you're in the theology class in the training center we were in, but 
this idea of this, I, I do this a lot, I'll be doing this a lot over the next few weeks. There are only two kingdoms that exist. There's not, a bunch, there's not Lebanon and America, and, because there's only two that really matter. One is the kingdom of God, and it's ruled by Christ. The other is the kingdom of this world, and right now, it is under the dark influence and control of Satan. None of which is out of God's sovereign control, but he is called the ruler of this world. Those are the two kingdoms. Now, how do you know which one you're in? Because here's the, here's, here's the big struggle we have as Christians, as born-again believers, genuine, spirit-filled followers of Christ. We are a people stuck in between two kingdoms. Part of us has already been transferred into the already finished. It is finished. We are born again. And that part of us has been transferred there. And yet there's a whole other part of us that is still stuck down here in this flesh. The not yet fully accomplished. It's how we talked about Revelation when I taught through that in 2019. It's, you hear that terminology here a lot. But, but how that applies to us practically is this. Guys, the world slash enemy, and when I say that, hear this. Here's how, this, here's how, here's how you see this. Commercials, media, social media, I would say even a lot of times politics. Guys, here's how the world and enemy wants, here's the lie he wants us to believe as followers of Christ. Your best life should be lived now. That's the message he's given to the world and the church is bought in. Now what our king says, who has now come to rule and to reign in our lives, even though he's not fully ruling and reigning here and now, he says, your best life comes when you live it for me and my kingdom. Now, guys, that leads us to the question today. How, so how can I experience fully this full life Christ promises? Because if best life now isn't true, does that mean suffering and sacrifice in this life so that the next life will be better is what we're all called to do? Guys, we're not, we're not monks here. We're not sitting here going, give every, like, you have to suffer on purpose in order for the next life to be better. Now, there is a lot in here about how your suffering conforms you to the image of Christ. It's part of the Christian experience. But that's not what the message of the gospel is. What, he's, what, what the message of the gospel is, is, is not, not suffer now so that you'll be glorified in heaven. It's you, your, your best life in eternity and here and now will happen when you make Christ your number one priority. And we are stuck in this place of constantly like looking upward and looking downward and looking up. And, and frankly, I personally, in my own life, I'm just sick of it. I am. I'm just tired of being in that space. And so what Paul is going to do is he's going to say, okay, so how do we get out of that space? Because Starting back in chapter 6 where we were last week and where we're, where we're going to be today. So turn back to chapter 6. He's going to tell us, here's how you get out of that space. Here's how you live in this truly free life. Make your life a living offering. Here's how you do that. By giving God your shame and then by pursuing godliness. And we're going to go through these points fairly fast because each one is just a verse or two. Because we're only going through verses 19 through 23 today. So let's pick it up with our first point. So we want to make our life an offering. Look at verse 19. He says, 
I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. So, and I loved how the New Living that Zach read said it. Because, in other words, because we don't understand, Paul is trying to use language we'll understand. So he's using language like slave and free because that's what we can understand. But he's talking about a spiritual reality. He says, For just as you presented your members as slaves in impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Guys, he, this is part of the problem with teaching like week to week and not being able to do is He's connecting this thought in 19 to verses 11 through 13. Look back where we were last week and look at verse 11 through 13. He says, so you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ. Now, as I was sitting here this morning, I'm going, okay, but guys, even there, like, look at, if you look at verse chapter 6, verse 11, you're like, but even, like, consider yourself dead. How, how do we do that? Well, he's connecting that thought back to one of those therefores in chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since you have been justified by faith, you have peace with God. He's saying, because of your faith in Christ, you have been made right by God for God, then he says, so in verse, chapter, back in chapter 6, verse 11, so consider yourself dead. And then he goes on, and this is what we really dwelled on last week. Let, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. So he's like, here, here we are stuck in the space between, right? But present your members to sin as instruments. Remember, we talked about how members and instruments actually is a word that's often translated weapon. So he's saying, present your weapon for unrighteousness, don't, don't, don't present it as for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and members of God as instruments of righteousness. And we, taught, we spent a bunch of time last week. If you weren't here, watch it online or listen to it on the podcast. But guys, like we are constantly in this process of moment by moment either fulfilling the deeds of the flesh or living in the fruit of the Spirit, in this world up here, and we know that by what we're actually doing. And he's saying, so start presenting your body. Now, what does that look like? Here's what it looks like. Keep your finger in Romans. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. It's worth the time to show you it, because it's easy for us to say, now, now our motivation for presenting our bodies, guys, get this, our motivation for presenting our bodies as sacrifice, right, is Jesus Christ. Because that's what he did. In Isaiah 53.10, he says, um, <coughs> excuse me, he says, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. And when his soul makes an offering for the guilty, he shall see his offspring, prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. Isaiah 53, Christ's willingness to present his body as sacrifice is our motivation for doing the same thing. And ultimately, what it comes down to is being willing to let go of anything to gain everything. Are you willing, am I willing, to let go of anything? Not everything, just let go of anything he asks of us to let go of, including our Bible that we've buried in the ground while I've been in prison. Am I willing to let go of anything to gain everything? And, he's, and so this is how Paul, this is what it looked like in Paul's life. Chapter 4, sec, or I'm sorry, I'm in, I'm in the wrong book. I'm like, that doesn't look right. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. 
Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort, and with complete patience and teaching. This is why our mission statement is that we exist to train people to teach God's truth. This is it right here. This is our calling. He says, for a time is coming, and here's why, for a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having their itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off to myths. And we're seeing that happen throughout the church all the time. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Share Christ is what he's saying. Now look at what he says. This is Paul. His last letter is written, same guy that wrote Romans. He's, at this point, he is in prison prison, like in a dungeon, chained to a floor. He knows he's about to be executed. And look at what he says. For I am already poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. And there is laid up for me in heaven a treasure. And not only for me, but for all who have loved his appearing. And implied in that is more than we love this world. Right? More than we... So look at your second talking points question. This is a song. The music team is going to sing part of this hymn as part of our time of response here in just a couple of minutes, or a few minutes, but it says in, in our second talking points question in the back of your insert, it says, take my life and let me be consecrated Lord to thee. Take, my sail, take, take myself and I will be ever only all to thee. There's a whole lot of alls in there, aren't there? Right? There's a whole lot of like, 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 take all of me for all of you. And I wrote down, these are easier words for your soul to sing than for you, than for you to let yourself live why is that? What is keeping us from committing all that we have and all that we are to all, and all that we hope to Christ? Like, what keeps us from that? Now, now I know because of who we are, and I, and I praise God for this, what we're going to say is sin and selfishness. Okay, so let's just take those, that, which is true. Let's just, those are out there. So what keeps us from presenting all that we are and all that we have to Christ? Our sin and our selfishness. What's that look like? Practically, let's get real. I'm asking. Am I the only one? Like you're just going to make me stand up here and just constantly confess what I fall short in? Or are you guys going to join me in this? Okay, my time. My, like, so I want my schedule, my time. I want my life to be like I live it. Ego. Like it's all about me. Good. What else? What? Control and security. I want to live in my comfort zone. I want to make sure my 401k is getting built up. I want to fill in the blank. Garrett in the back. So are we start? So he's saying, as if Psalm 42, one is a deer pants for water. So I, so my soul pants for you. He's saying, is that really even in our heart? Like, do we really hunger for Christ? Good. One more. Go ahead, Scott. Good. So, geography, so or do we care enough about his kingdom and the people around us, as Jamie's stories were, tell, were helping us, encourage us, that we would actually get, like, lay ourselves on the altar, lay our time, lay our money, lay our, our preferences on the altar? And, and that's a huge challenge for us. So I wrote down a couple. So, so, kinda, so comfort, conformity to the culture, these are all things that keep us from Christ. Here's two more. Distractions, 
Man, especially in our Western culture, we are so distracted. And here's the other one I would say, and it's going to lead us into our second point, and discouragement. Guys, discouragement was a thing in the body of Christ prior to 2020, prior to COVID, prior to, you know, all that stuff. But I'll tell you, if, if, the, if the enemy has used that to ramp anything up in our culture, especially in our Christian culture, it is to make us even more discouraged and even more apathetic about what's going on in our lives and in the world. And, and that is a tool of the enemy to completely distract us. And that's ultimately where Paul is going to take us next. So take a look at the question we're asking. So how can I, how can I truly like live this full life now? One, make your life an offering. And here's, here's step one and how you do that. By giving God your shame. So we're back in Romans. I'm not, but we're supposed to be back in Romans chapter 6 and verse 20. And he says, for when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. This is his way of saying, guys, before you were saved, you, didn't, you, could, you could sin and not even know you were sinning. Like, you just lived your life. That was me. Like, I, I never got convicted of doing something like sin because I didn't even know what sin was. And I wasn't regenerated, so there was no, the Holy Spirit wasn't in me to convict me. And then he says, but, what, but here's the key. Look at verse 21. But what fruit were you getting at, the t- at that time for the things that you are now ashamed? For the end of these things is death. He's saying, guys, you were in this life of sin, and, and where did that lead you? It led you to shame. Guys, my past haunts me. When I work with young people and I sort of they hear a little bit of my story about what I was like in my in my teens and 20s, sometimes they will say to me, hey, so, so why are you asking me to live differently than you did? Because, um, you know, you had all that fun and, and now you're telling me to, to not have that fun. Well, guys, and, and then they'll finish with something like, and look, you're okay. Well, first, yeah, thanks for laughing, Sean. First, because Sean knows me. First of all, I'm not okay. I'm not. There is, there is permanent, well, permanent, in this kingdom, until eternity comes, there is permanent physical rewiring of my brain because of things I was addicted to that will not stop until he fixes it finally. There is real, real trauma. And then there's the lies of the enemy and, 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 and how he constantly brings to mind, remember this person that you hurt for your own pleasure. Remember the, like, guys, I, I'm telling you, especially over the last few weeks, he has just been, like, the enemy has been attacking and attacking and attacking in those areas. And I have to constantly stop and go, the cross of Christ supersedes that, and I need to give, I need to go, no Satan, no flesh, no world, the three enemies, Christ died for that, right? And, and guys, but, but, but we have to understand shame in all that, and, and, and then what shame leads us to without even knowing it is pride because we're hiding our shame. That is the enemy's chief device. It was in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. Do you remember? Right? What do they do as soon as they rebel? They hide, and God comes and says, where are you? And when, he, and when they start interacting with God, and he says, well, we were naked, so we were ashamed and then you remember what God says? So who told you that? Who told you that? You didn't even know what naked was. You know who told him that? The one who got him to sin. 
It's the same one that tells me all the things I do wrong too. But guys, understand that last week I talked about David and, and his, um, in, in, in 2 Samuel 11 and 12 and, and his sin with Bathsheba and his killing of her husband Uriah and the Nathan's confrontation. And remember how I said that didn't really start with, hey, I'm going to commit adultery. How did that start? He was made as a weapon of warfare. And that whole scene in 2 Samuel 11 starts with, in the spring, when kings go out to battle, David stayed home. Now you know how that scene ends? Baby's born. Baby's suffering, baby's, baby's dying, David fasts and prays and does, and, and then they, they come, the baby dies, they come to David, scared, because a lot of times you tell the king the bad news, you're going to get your head cut off. They come to him, they say, David, your son is dead. You know how this whole scene ends, Second Samuel 12, 20, I think it is, it says, David got up, he's on the floor, got up, washed himself, went to the house of the Lord, and worshipped. Now wait a minute, what, how, how is that possible? Here's how. David understood that his identity was not wrapped up in that sin. As bad as it was, and as much as it grieved him, and he wrote Psalm 51 to, to share his grief with all of us, it was wrapped up in who God says he is, and he went to the house of the Lord to be reminded of that. That's why we need to gather together. That's why we need to be of one mind. Guys, we have got, listen to this. Listen, 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 listen. We have got to stop beating ourselves up about past failures. And we've got to stop beating ourselves up about, or beating other people up about the wrongs they've done to us. Grace covers that. I'm going to take the time to have, have you watch this video that addresses this in a really powerful way. Because, guys, I'm telling you, shame, I'm, I'm just telling you right now, shame is what is keeping us from doing the mission kingdom work. And, if, again, if you're sitting here today and you're going, I don't have any, we need to talk. Because I promise you do. We see the story of Jesus going to the cross and everything seems to kind of be hand in hand. And then there's this one character that seems to interrupt the narrative. His name's Barabbas. Uh, we don't even know much about him except that he's a murderer, a leader of an insurrection, a rebel. And why he's even mentioned, sometimes I'm not so sure. It's like, what? Let's, this is about Jesus going to the cross. So in this moment, Pilate thinks, I hold the destinies of these two men in my hand. I know the Jews have a tradition that on a holy day, I will release one of the prisoners on death row. Pilate stands on this audacious stage who now presents Jesus, son of the living God, versus Barabbas, the thug and rebel. He says, all right, who do you want? This is blasphemy. This is this has gone too far. There's no comparison. This is a rightful prisoner, a man who should be on death row. He's a rebel against Rome. He leads a rebellion. He murders people. He's a bad man. He's a thug and he's a crook. He deserves the chains and he deserves the crucifixion. Jesus, what has he done but heal, restore, deliver, set free? Open blind eyes, open deaf ears, heal the lame and the leper. What, what has Jesus done? Who do you want? We, 
to myself, I deserve it. My marriage won't make it. This is what I deserve. I deserve divorce. I deserve poverty. I deserve sickness. I deserve it all. No! God, I I'm so ashamed. Give me your shame. But God, what if I do it again? I'll still be here. Oh, God, I don't want to hurt you. I love you. I, I don't want to do this anymore. Give me your sins, son. This is all we got. It's all I got. It's all you got. We can play games. We can play church games. We can pretend like some people are better than others, and that's why they're blessed. Or we can all come to the honest conclusion that it's God. And it's God alone. The greatest challenge is not your discipline, your devotion, your focus. Your greatest challenge is believing the gospel. Could it be that there's a God with a love so scandalous, so wide, so deep, so vast, so high, so expansive, so welcoming, so inclusive? Let me have your sin, son. Okay. And I give him my sin. And I stand in this empty space of forgiveness and acceptance while Jesus walks off to the cross that I deserve. I see him, I see him walking to the post to be whipped. As I stand a free man, all the attention is turned now. And I feel the love of God saying, go son, live your life. I'll pay the price. Where did we get off? Thinking that we were gonna set ourselves free. Still Jesus, it'll always be Jesus. It'll never stop being the power of Jesus. If his blood is sufficient for your salvation, his blood is sufficient to sustain you through every challenge and every sin and every temptation. Jesus is enough. Your last talking points question says, what areas are you still willingly or unwillingly holding back from God? Maybe you're not ready to give it up. You're still enjoying it too much. Or maybe you've been self-deceived into believing it's okay. It's not that bad. Perhaps it is a past pain you cannot seem to let go of. Or if you're honest, maybe the father of lies has you hiding in your shame and trapped in your pride. Guys, we all need to be released spiritually, emotionally, and physically from such things. Guys, if you have somebody that's telling you right now that all you need to do is pray about that and have God release you from that, they are not biblicists. At the same time, if you have somebody say all you need to do is get medication and you'll feel better, like it'll help you, they are not biblicists. We are trichotomous beings, body, soul, and spirit. We have a physical body that is broken, and you might need help. Get it. 
We are also soulishly active. That means we have a mind, a will, and emotion. There is real trauma and real pain that really needs to get dealt with. Get help. Let us help you get help. And you are spiritual beings. And so if you need prayer for that, to be reminded of the truth of the gospel, because all of that, physical, emotional, and spiritual, guys, ultimately there is one answer, and his name is Jesus Christ. He is the one who sets captives free. And if Christ has set you free, you are free indeed. Do I really live that way? Do I really live free? Do I run free? That's going to bring us to our last point, and we're going to go into our time of response here in just a minute. But So we're talking about how do you live this full life? You present your body an offering. You give him your shame. And we're going to have time to practice that during our time of response. While the music team is going to be singing here in a minute, their trays for communion are going to get passed. And so will some white cards. And I want to, I want to strongly encourage you to take the time to respond in both ways. It's going to be a glorious mess. I don't care. You're going to take communion on your own. I'm not going to come back up here and lead you through it. When you feel led to be... Communion is a time, Paul tells us, to examine ourselves. Right? And then to remember what the cross did. So take that time. The white cards, what I want you to do is I want you to take that last question I just read to you and I want you to write down the things the Holy Spirit brings to mind. And I, and I want you to ask God to help release you from those things. Those things could be people, those things could be situations, those things could be substances, those, whatever it is. I ask, pray, that, write them down, put, a, put, put it on paper, and then hang it up there and ask him to continue to help release you from those things. But guys, we, what, here's what we got to understand. The, the way forward, get this. Don't be distracted by what's going on in the room right now. Understand this. The way forward is not by looking backward. Forgetting what lies behind but reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on. And it's not looking around. The way forward is looking upward. We're in this space where people stuck between kingdoms. And the solution is to continue to look forward. And that's what Paul means when he says in the last couple of verses, but now that you have been set, now that you have been set free by God for God, it's a passive voice, it's in the perfect, it's like he's just done it. If you're his, you're his forever. There's nothing you've done, could do, undo, nothing. It's saved once for all time. Now that you have been set free and have become slaves to God, the fruit which, 
which, gets, which leads to sanctification, and its end is eternal life. Look upward. For the wages of sin is death. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Because ultimately, pursuing godliness does not look like pursuing more morality. It doesn't look like I, I need to know what my lists of do's and don'ts are. Pursuing God. Who was the most godly person who ever lived? Jesus, right? Pursuing him is how we pursue godliness. How do I know that? Well, the writer of Hebrews tells us that. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Just write it down. Don't look it up. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside the sin, the shame, the pain, the hurt, the past. Let us lay that aside and let us run with endurance this race that is set before us. How? He tells us how. It's easier said than done. I get it, but he tells us how. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him, despising the shame, the sh our shame. He's like, I'm going to deal with that shame. Just give it to me. Despising the shame, he endured the cross. And then he invites us to boldly approach the throne of grace. Do we really believe that? The music team's going to come up and I want to ask you, have you experienced that full life? I'm going to pray in just a minute for those of you that have never, have never come to faith in Christ. You've, you don't even know what, what it means to be really set free. And I'm going to ask, as I pray for you, I'm going to ask that when we're done praying, during that time of response, you go to the back of the room and there will be some men back there. They don't know it yet, but there will be. Brian will come back there. Scott will come back there and just answer your questions, pray for you. And for those of us that, no, you're like, yeah, I know. I just keep picking this thing back up and I keep entangling myself in my junk. I'm going to ask you to respond. Write it down. Give it to God. Come back. Take communion and praise him for the grace that covers that. For I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness, if living right could come by doing good things, Paul says, then Christ died for nothing. But I have been crucified with Christ. Have you? Don't let this opportunity pass. I'm going to ask everybody to just close their eyes and bow their head. Father, I just come to you right now. Lord, I thank you for the truth of the beauty of the gospel. I thank you that the same gospel of grace that calls us to life empowers us to live the sanctified life we're looking at. I thank you that you're a God who understands the struggle we're in. It's why you have this in your word. That you, that you know your children stumble and fall. But when we do, your righteous right hand is what holds us. It's what stands us back up. It's what helps us continue to run this race with endurance. There's a world out there that doesn't know there's a place to go for their shame. 
They're hiding. Hiding in themselves. Hiding in some false identity. There are people in this room right now that are hiding from you and they don't even know it. I cannot pray the words that are going to open the eyes of their heart. Your Holy Spirit will do that. But I pray that if today is the day that they for the first time are sensing that stirring that they would stand up and walk to the back and ask can you pray for me? And Lord for those of us that just seem to keep struggling in in the bondage we have placed ourselves in as followers of Christ the enemy cannot bind us but he sure can mess with us. So I want to pray in the name of Christ, the name of Jesus, the name that sets captives free, those that you have called, those that you have chosen, those that you have saved. I don't know who those are, but I thank you that those that are of that have been set free. I pray that the enemies of this world and our flesh and Satan would be bound that we might just be able to live this full life in victory that we would claim the promises of the goodness of God and that the overflow of that would be that we would just our lives would be useful weapons in the hands of our Redeemer. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.